94 episodes of content. I hope that a significant portion of that has been interesting to you. I know that my work on this podcast is not exactly polished and professional. Well, I told you long ago that I'm an imposter, so what do you expect? Moreover, I hope you appreciate the format, despite its low-budget simplicity and my limited skills as a narrator. I know that I don't have a huge audience and that some episodes are better than others, but I can't tell you the extent to which this project has enabled me to think. Thinking is a strange thing. I find that if I can talk things over or write about them, I can make analytical progress. We don't really just sit down and think, do we? It's more like thoughts just brew in the recesses of the mind and occur to us when they do. Either that or they occur when prompted by other people or things that we encounter or read. At about 20 minutes per episode, I must have talked about consciousness just on this podcast in the past year and a half in excess of 1,800 minutes. That's about 30 hours. But I don't do my thinking when I'm narrating the podcast. I do the thinking when I write in preparation. That amounts to hours for every episode, not 20 minutes. Mind you, I don't get carried away about it. This is not a polished product like the writing of book chapters. The podcast is more like a focused journal. At times, it is a bit of a ramble, as I just try to get my thoughts out on a subject and discover the basic terrain. The process is like a brainstorming session for insights and hypotheses. I take what I know and put it into contact with one or more sources of evidence or theory, and the sausage comes out the other end. I'm no chef. I hope the sausage is palatable. What is a thought? We can use this word to pick out a variety of cognitive events. It might be an image or a trace of memory. It might be a phrase, the verse of a song, an internal comment or self-judgment. It might be an idea either purely conceptual or given in words or a picture. What about a pang of guilt or worry? Is there a clear line of distinction between a thought and a feeling? It seems like they're different. A feeling or mood is something perceived, isn't it? But then, isn't a thought something perceived? Let's see if we can make some analytical headway here. I start with the basic division between contents of consciousness that are perceptual and contents which are conceptual. By that reckoning, sounds and sights are perceptual contents and thoughts are conceptual. Things are perceived and relationships among things are conceived. I see a table. A flash of thought notes that the table is filthy. Filthiness is a concept which I have judged to characterize the table. Of course, I could have this thought in a non-linguistic form. I don't need to assign the term filthy or any other term in order to have the thought. It helps with communication, though. I can look at the table and say to the person next to me, that table is filthy. In all likelihood, if I were alone, I would not say that to myself, either in my mind or muttered under my breath. I would make the observation. The observation would occur to me, and it might lead to another thought, one of wiping down the table, or perhaps a slight feeling of anxiety would well up as I thought instead to move on and ignore the table. After all, I was thinking something else before I saw the table. That thought might now be returning again. So I perceive the table and I perceive its filthiness. But I haven't really perceived its filthiness, have I? I have judged its filthiness based on other perceptions. A glare of oily something, a scatter of crumbs, a pool of liquid. Aha! But what about its tableness? Have I seen it to be a table or conceived it to be one? Do I see a pool of liquid, or do I see a contrast of color, or shininess, and judge it to be a liquid? What concepts underlie my very perceptions? All right, so my perceptions are informed by, indeed constructed, of concepts. That muddies the waters a bit here. Let's come at this from the other side. Let's have an abstract thought, which is definitely not something that I've seen or heard. I don't know why, but my first thought is the word sheep. 
that will do as well as anything. This thought has not been precipitated by my seeing the word or a woolly beast outside my window. I have thought the word sheep, which then brings to mind the animal, what it looks like, that it goes ba, and somewhere in my memory a cartoon sheep hopping over a fence. I could free associate from, from there and enter a whole rabbit hole of sheepness. What happened when I thought the word sheep? What did I do? I kind of assumed a permissive state of mind, and sheep filled the void. No doubt there were other pseudo-thoughts, but that one stood out as the most concrete or the most aesthetically interesting for whatever reason. In a real sense, I attended to the word sheep as I might attend to an object in the room. As I scan a room, my visual attention ignores almost every possible object. Perhaps my attention finds a particular book on the bookshelf. I don't know. Maybe the binding stands out from its neighbors. The point is that thoughts are attended to just as perceptions are. I peruse in one case the library of objects which I can see, and in the other case the library of concepts that avail themselves. Therefore, thoughts are perceptions of contents. This implies that the contents of consciousness are all perceptions. They appear in the space of mind, whether they are imaginary or real, whether they're seen or only visualized, whether they're heard or simply imagined as heard. This is a reduction of my previous idea, which held that there are perceptions on the one hand and conceptions on the other. Now we have only one thing, perceptions. But what a strange thing for thoughts to be perceptions, and yet it seems self-evident that they are. I see a thing, I recognize it, an associated thought emerges. Have I made the thought? Did I think and then a thought arose? Or did the thought simply appear in the space of mind like the object which I saw? Given that thoughts are conceptual perceptions, no different in kind from sensory perceptions, I now have to consider the verb to think. What is it then to think? It seems to be the generation of thoughts, but that isn't really true. Thinking is more of an attentional process, perhaps. There's a menu of half-formed thoughts floating about, and I select, by attention, which of them to make complete. Thinking is more like an act of judgment upon perceived things. The thoughts are a precondition for the act of thinking. Thinking is a process of selection from among thoughts. I attend to this thought, which brings up associated thoughts. The illusion is that I have thus generated the new thoughts. But no, if you walk along a path which is going up over a hill, when you reach the top of the hill, there's a new landscape ahead of you. But you do not make the mistake of assuming yourself to have generated that new landscape. Thinking in this analogy is walking and watching. Thoughts are trees and bushes and birds which show up as you are doing so. They're perceptions. The weirdness is that they exist entirely in abstract space, not out there in the dimensions of concrete representation. I, the mind of this brain, which is situated in real space and time, am like a curator of thought. I'll not go into this here, but consider the implications of this curation. We attend to what is interesting. We avoid what is annoying or overly complex. We must have a natural tendency to attend in such a way as to feel better. We grasp our way through the thoughts like a monkey leaping from vine to vine without looking down to notice the existential danger which spreads out below. No wonder we're so egotistical and defensive and self-deceptive and biased. These are the moves we make to avoid falling, to avoid facing our fears and doubts. Okay, let me try to rescue the essay. I told you I ramble. I'm a rambling man. I find a whimsical metaphor and I'm off. These are the vines that present themselves to me, and alas, I am but a leaping monkey. Perhaps quoting a reference will save me. 
A paper by App Dixterhouse and Madeline Strick argues that thinking processes commonly take place below the level of consciousness. The paper is called A Case for Thinking Without Consciousness. The authors write, quote, We define conscious thought as cognitive or affective decision-related processes that take place while one is consciously aware of the decision-making process. For example, one may consider two potential majors and consciously think technical engineering has great job prospects, but the subject seems quite boring. Unconscious thought, however, refers to cognitive or affective decision-related processes that take place outside conscious awareness, that is, while people are consciously occupied with something else. You may compare two potential majors and be undecided which to choose. Next, you may put the problem aside for a few days, and then at a later moment, you suddenly realize it will be psychology. The question we address here is whether there is indeed such a thing as unconscious thought, and if so, what it does. To turn back to Newton, did he only make scientific progress during the moments that he was consciously focusing on understanding gravity, and did progress stop the moment he consciously started thinking about something else? Or did he also make progress on other occasions, such as when he was shaving, or having dinner, or when he was just staring out the window doing nothing? In the present article, we make a case for the second possibility, that is, for thinking unaccompanied by conscious awareness of the object of thought. We have been advocating the possibility of unconscious thought for ten years now. During lectures and seminars, we discovered that the concept of unconscious thought is, from a phenomenological perspective, appealing to most people. Many researchers and theorists have postulated that finding the solution to a creative problem often follows the same sequence of processes. First, you devote attention to the problem by consciously thinking about it, reading about it, or discussing it with others. Second, you start to do something else and put the problem to rest for a while, a process that is often called incubation. Third, a solution pops into consciousness, sometimes rather suddenly. This, we noticed, is a process that most people recognize. Lay people and scientists alike tend to find it easy to come up with examples from their own experience." Unquote. Given my preamble in which I found the hypothesis that thoughts are conceptual perceptions, I must suppose that thinking, as the generation of ideas, statements, visualizations, and so on, is an unconscious process. I don't know how to think any more than I know how to speak or to move my limbs about in useful ways. These are things that accord with my will, but I haven't the slightest notion of how the magic is done. As I posited before, I'm a curator of thoughts, if I have any causal power at all, not a generator of them. The authors write, quote, Clearly demonstrating that unconscious thought takes place is not easy. In the research on unconscious thought, in decision-making, and on incubation and creative participants, are often distracted for a certain period of time with a task that occupies consciousness, but is that assumed that it is assumed not to interfere too much with unconscious thought. Typically, participants are first presented with a problem or with information pertaining to a decision. For example, participants are asked to read information about four apartments, with the aim to later choose the most desirable one. They're then distracted for a while, and afterward they make a decision. In some initial experiments on unconscious thought, we found that participants who were distracted made better decisions than participants who were allowed to think about their choice consciously, or than participants who made their choice immediately after reading the decision information." Unquote. A bit later, the authors say, quote, In many studies, the quality of decisions after unconscious thought was compared with those of people who thought about the decision consciously for the same amount of time. However, even if one shows that distracted participants make better decisions than conscious, it does not yet show that distracted people thought unconsciously. It is very well possible that conscious thought decreases the quality of a decision. For instance, conscious thinkers may be forced to think longer than they normally would, 
or conscious thinkers may experience problems recalling the decision information encoded earlier. If indeed conscious thought jeopardizes the decision process, better performance of distracted participants does not yet constitute evidence for an active unconscious thought process. The fact that many unconscious thought experiments have been conducted with just two conditions, i.e. an unconscious thought condition and a conscious thought condition, may have contributed to the fact that some researchers proposed an alternative explanation for the, for the unconscious thought effect in which no active unconscious thought has to be assumed to take place. Their reasoning is that while participants encode the decision information, they form a relatively accurate online impression. In the unconscious thought condition, this impression is simply recalled after participants have been distracted. The fact that conscious thinkers make relatively poor decisions is because they interpret instructions to think carefully as a directive to abandon their online impression and to form new judgments based on the specific decision information they recall. However, because they had been asked to form impressions in the first place, and because the originally presented information was disorganized and was presented only briefly, their recollection of the information and the subsequent memory-based judgments are impaired. As we also argued elsewhere, it is very possible, indeed likely, that some participants in some experiments indeed merely recalled an impression that they formed online after they were distracted. However, this alternative explanation is at odds with many other findings in the unconscious thought domain, and it can easily be refuted as a more general explanation of the unconscious thought effect. Concretely, it cannot explain why unconscious thinkers outperform participants who are merely distracted, why the representation of objects changes during the distraction period when people unconsciously think, why effects of unconscious thought show a show up on implicit measures, and perhaps most crucial, given the sheer amount of counter evidence, why unconscious thinkers often outperform immediate decision makers." Unquote. Now this line of inquiry about good decision making is interesting. I wonder if it depends on the quality of one's conscious analysis. For example, I often play strategy board games. I don't play like a professional, intent on grinding away at every decision to maximize its result. Rather, I play based on sound intuition, trying to make good quality decisions without sweating about it too much. Ultimately, I'm trying to have fun, not to squeeze out a maximum of victory points. But I have a friend, Lewis, whose approach is the latter. He takes a lot longer on each of his turns, and he seems to be genuinely suffering at times as he quantifies every variable. In most games, his approach will yield a better result than mine in terms of victory, but an inferior product in terms of enjoyment. My approach is more impulsive and intuitive, so I stand in this example for the unconscious thinker. Lewis's approach is that of the conscious thinker. It's like this. Imagine you're asked how tall something is. You could wager an estimate, or you could run off in search of a tape measure, return with your instrument in hand, and conduct a proper measurement. Of course, the tape measure will provide a more accurate answer, but sometimes all that is called for is an approximation. In a game, how many soldiers will I need to successfully conquer a particular location on the board? I think I can get it with four infantry and a tank. I estimate the probability of my success at 75% which I find favorable, so I reach for the combat dice. I could get out a calculator and determine the exact probability, but that wouldn't be much fun. I don't know the details of how these experiments on our unconscious versus conscious thinking are conducted, but it's rather surprising that they find better results with the unconscious thinking. After all, if I were to walk away from the game and return to the board after being distracted by some other things, my estimate for the probability of success for my move would not be more accurate, would it? I don't know. Maybe I'm thinking about this wrong. Maybe I would abandon that attack upon my return because I've realized that there was a better move somewhere else. The authors write, quote, Recently, the first neuroscientific evidence for unconscious thought was published. 
The study showed that unconscious thinkers made better decisions than conscious thinkers and that immediate and uh, better than immediate decision makers. To differentiate the neural activity involved in unconscious thought from the neural activity involved in performing the distraction task, Creswell et al., 2013, had the participants perform the distraction task separately and they subtracted the neural activity from the neural activity during unconscious thought. The functional magnetic resonance imaging data showed that the unconscious thought was associated with activation in the right dorsolateral prefrontal cortex and the left intermediate visual cortex. These areas were already involved in the encoding of the information in the first place, and Creswell et al. proposed a neural reactivation account for unconscious thought, indeed demonstrating unconscious processing to continue after encoding. Neural reactivation in the regions mentioned previously was predictive of decision quality of unconscious thinkers. In our view, the comparison between unconscious thought and mere distraction, as well as the neuroscientific evidence from Quez Creswell et al.'s study, constitute the strongest evidence to date for the existence of true unconscious thought processes, at least within the confines of the unconscious thought paradigm." Unquote. They go on, quote, "...other strong evidence for unconscious thought is provided by experiments that show that the mental representation of the object of thought, such as decision alternatives, changes while people are assumed to think unconsciously. Such evidence has been obtained in various experiments. In one study, participants were provided with information about four potential roommates and were asked to choose among these four. In a task in which speed of recognition for the decision information was measured, unconscious thinkers, compared with conscious thinkers and participants who were not given time to think, responded faster to the positive aspects of the most desirable roommate and to the negative information of the most undesirable roommate than to the other information, suggesting that their impressions polarized, that is, they became more extreme. In addition, participants who formed an impression of a target person on the basis of behavioral information indicative of three different personality traits showed more clustering, that is, better organization and memory after unconscious thought rather than after conscious thought." Unquote. What should be made of this? If thinking is a process of curation rather than a process of generation, then perhaps we aren't even reliable curators. But then why should it be any different? Sometimes what is best for Jesse is not what appeals to me. If I were Jesse rather than his dysfunctional mind, oh, the things we would get done.